And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Welcome to week three of our message series called Redo, How to Get Past Our Past. I don't know about you, but I have, I have a past. And uh, I'm excited to, to be able to share some things in my own journey that have helped me to be able to get past my past this morning. I want to uh, mention that uh, if you've missed a, a message or two along the way, no problem. I want to encourage you to check out our website, evangelag.org, and you can click on um, watch there in the navigation, and you can catch up with any uh, messages that you might have missed. In week one of our series, we talked about labels, and we talked about in our life how um, other people place labels on us that we oftentimes in our own lives, as we're speaking negatively about ourselves, we place labels on our own life as well. And we talked about how those labels have a tendency to kind of bind us, to restrict what God wants to do in our lives. And so we talked a little bit about how we get rid of those labels. Last week, we talked about forgiveness and we talked about not, not as much the importance of receiving God's forgiveness for our past, but us being able to forgive ourselves. How many know sometimes that can be harder depending on the things that we've done in our past to, to let that go, to let um, what we've done in the past not continue to haunt us in our own lives. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about um, another area that I believe helps us get past our past. And it's a topic that honestly I have not heard uh, talked a lot about in church, and, um, but it's still an important biblical principle in our lives in order for us to begin to move forward and to leave our past behind us. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the importance of initiating restoration. Initiating restoration. In other words, how do we apologize to other people that we've hurt in our lives? And uh, before we go into that, uh, I want to um, I want to kind of unpack a little bit of this of this renovation. I want to take maybe three minutes and make sure that, that we over communicate uh, about the renovation that's starting uh, here in a couple weeks. So next Sunday is we are going to be worshiping in here together next Sunday, and then after the service is over is when our renovation begins. Now, if you're kind of new around here back in February, um, we had an overwhelming vote of our church to, uh, to, to update the technology and everything in this room, to do some updates in our kids and teens area as a way for us to be able to continue to, to reach out to people within our community and really across the world. And so that renovation begins um, at the end of, of next Sunday. And so we had, we had talked about possibly shutting down services for four Sundays. And it was one of those things where it wasn't something we wanted to do, but we couldn't really see a way around it until in a staff meeting a few weeks ago, the team came up with a brilliant idea that we decided to pump the brakes on the idea of, of shutting down and going to online only. And so what we came up with was the idea of brunch church. Now, Brunch Church is going to go from May the 9th, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. It's going to be four Sundays downstairs. It's actually right below uh, this room that we're in, in our cafe. And so we're going to have uh, free brunch, and, and we're not talking like just like a few little things. We're talking about like real brunch. It's going to be amazing food from 9.30 to 10.15 uh, down there, and then we'll have our service at 10.30. Uh, we will be having a kids' ministry, so our nursery will be downstairs in the old original nursery, which at one point was the choir room. Uh, but it'll be downstairs in the cafe. And then our preschool and elementary students will be in the youth room that's kind of on this back side. 
And so we'll be doing that for, uh, for four weeks, and then we'll come back up here uh, for our grand opening on June the 6th. Now, uh, we will also, in addition to Brunch Church, we will still be offering our online uh, service option, uh, and that'll be at 1030 every Sunday on you, at YouTube and uh, Facebook. And so um, you can be looking out for that. But our grand opening is really going to be an amazing service. Uh, we'll have free food for that. We'll give tours of this space and the new kids in the teens area. And it's also going to be a great service for you to invite maybe some friends or family that maybe they don't have a church home. Maybe they've been going through some things. That would be a great service for you to invite them to. And so that'll be on June the 6th. And um, one thing about the Brunch Church for those four Sundays, this side of the building will be closed. So you will be entering on the back side, the cafe entrance. So you can use any parking lot that you would like to, but we'll have signage and all that. But you'll be walking around kind of this back side of the, of the auditorium uh, to the cafe there. And we'll have plenty of of signage, plenty of, of happy people waving at you and showing you the direction to go. So we're looking forward to that. We thank you so much for uh, just your patience. We thank you for your understanding as we kind of we kind of go through a few few weeks that might be a little uncomfortable as a church. Uh, but then it's going to be exciting times as we come back together on June 6th and we're ready to start moving forward with the mission that God has given us as a church. So thank you so much in advance for your patience and your graciousness along the way. Well, if you got your Bible with you, why don't you grab that or your smartphone and let's prepare our hearts for what the Lord has to say to us. Uh, if you're new around here, uh, we like to repeat this prayer together on the front end of the message just as a way to kind of prepare the soil of our hearts for what God has to say. And so if you would repeat with me today, Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but how many of you remember the old uh, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon back in the day? Do you guys have many? Yeah, all the, all the like under 40 people are like, what? This was a kind of a sketched cartoon that would actually go out into the newspaper. Now, some of you, like my kids, are like, newspaper? What is a newspaper? And that was where we used to get our news back in the day for around the, the country and, and around the world. And it was, it was this, like, these big sheets of, of paper that would be rolled up, and they were, can you believe it? They were black and white. And they would be rolled up and they would be thrown into your driveway. And you would actually have to like put on slippers and people would go out in their robes and walk out in the driveway unless they had a, a dog that was, that was highly trained that could go get it for you, right? And you'd go get the, the newspaper and you'd bring it back in the house and, and, and you would read through the newspaper while you're drinking coffee and getting ready in the morning. Um, quite a bit different back then, but that was cutting edge back in those days and um, Calvin and Hobbes was a sketch a cartoon sketch that that would be in uh, the newspaper you know kind of the mid 80s to to mid 90s I remember uh, for a period of time I lived with my aunt and uncle in North Carolina and um, I remember being able to hear my uncle across the room as he was reading the comics in the newspaper in the morning. He had one of those like chuckle laughs that were so, it was so loud, it would shake the walls of the house. And I just remember him kind of reading through that. And, and, and that was something that, that he looked forward to, you know, every morning. But, but Calvin, Calvin was a six-year-old boy and he had a pet Tiger, and this was way before Tiger King, like way before Tiger King. Um, but he had a pet tiger, and that tiger's name was Hobbs. And and so there's this this little little sketch that that you'll see up on the screens. And and this sketch was kind of kind of kind of it kind of um, matches our topic today. Calvin Calvin makes a statement. He says, "I feel bad that I called Susie names, and I hurt her feelings." And he says, I'm sorry that I did it. And Hobbes says, well, maybe, maybe you should apologize to her. And Calvin responds, 
Well, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. (laughs) And friend, we chuckle at that. We chuckle at Calvin's response as it relates to that because that's that's a response that you and I can relate to in our own lives. You see, most of us in this room, we're quick to to want an apology from somebody else in our lives. We're quick to, to, to want somebody that has hurt us through the years to, to just give us a call or to come by and say, listen, I, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But we're not so quick to dish out the apologies when we hurt somebody else. We're quick to receive, but not so quick to give and our human nature like just the way that we are wired is that we we want to play the role of the victim in our lives and so we rarely take the responsibility for our own issues we rarely take on that responsibility and as a result we end up blaming everybody else for our issues and our mess that we deal with in our life and so if If we're going to get past our past, if we're going to kind of do our future different than we did our past, then we can't be just focused on other people and what they've done to us, but we also have to take responsibility for the things that we've done to other people. And so if you got your Bible or smartphone this morning, I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and I want us to take a look at what Jesus has to say about this topic of initiating restoration. And I want to kind of set the scene for you of Matthew 5. You see, Jesus has has just kind of begun his public ministry in Galilee. And if you're a part of our Bible study on Wednesday nights, we've, we've kind of starting to dig into this a little bit in Mark chapter 1. If you're not a part of that, join us this Wednesday at 6.30. We've been having a great discussion as we've been going through uh, the gospel of Mark. But, but Jesus has just begun his public ministry. He's, he's casted out a demon spirit in the temple. Could you imagine? Like, like, like he's healed Simon's mother-in-law and word is beginning to get out. Word is beginning to get out of what's going on. And there's this one situation that we actually studied and looked at this past Wednesday about about these miracles that are starting to happen. And this whole community comes over and they're kind of hovered around the doorway and they're looking at Jesus and and they're watching him continue to, to minister and to heal people and I mean, you could imagine what had to be happening, that the number of of onlookers was increasing exponentially. That with every place that Jesus would go and every person that he would minister to, that the crowd just begins to grow and grow. And so in Matthew chapter 5, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sees the crowds beginning to gather. He sees them beginning to gather, and so he, he and his disciples, they, they begin to slip up further and further up the hillside so that he could have some private time, not with all the onlookers, not with the ones that were just following him now because of the miracles and the things that he was doing, but he wanted some private time with his followers. And how many know there's a big difference between onlookers and followers? Like onlookers are going to be the ones that they're going to, like they're going to hop from church to church to wherever it seems like things are happening and miracles are taking place. Like they're going to, they're going to go all over the place. Onlookers are people that kind of chase after God, where you've got followers that are people that actually, they sit at the feet of Jesus and they hear the things that he's teaching and they're applying that into their lives. And so we see this this. The scene setting out where, where all these onlookers start to gather and Jesus slips up to the top of the hill and, and he's got his disciples. And, and I want you to kind of imagine like Jesus sitting there and all the disciples are, are gathered around and, and Jesus begins to unpack what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. 
Now, in this moment, Jesus sitting there and all these disciples, and, and, and he sees the onlookers down. He's just having this private moment, and, and he says a lot of amazing things in Matthew chapter 5. I would encourage you to read that chapter this week. But, but relating to our topic today about initiating restoration, Jesus has this moment with the disciples in verse 23 and 24. And look what he says here. Jesus tells them, he says, that if you are offering your gift at the altar. Now, in our culture today, that would be like Jesus sitting here and we're just kind of, we're kind of sitting at Jesus' feet and he's saying, listen, if you go to church, if you go to church, you go to Bible study, and, and, and then he says, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Like meaning you're, you're in this worship service, you're, you're at this Bible study, you're, you're doing things, you're kind of living your life for God, and then you begin to recognize or remember that, that at some point along the way that you've hurt someone. That the Holy Spirit brings this person to mind and maybe you've let them down or maybe you've disappointed them, maybe you've lied to them at some point. Whatever it may have been, whether you feel like it was justified or not justified, how, oh my gosh, that's my issue, right? Like I know that from time to time I hurt people and then I have to deal with, well, whether, whether it was intentional and whether they're just kind of responding that way because they're easily offended, right? And you go down that whole journey of whether it's justified or unjustified and and Jesus is like, if you're, if you're bringing your gift to the altar, if you're, if you're at a service or you're doing things for me, and then all of a sudden you remember that there's a relationship in your life, there's a relationship where somebody might be offended or hurt by something that you've done, Jesus tells the disciples at his feet at that moment, he says, leave your gift there in front of the altar in other words, stop whatever it is that you're doing. Stop it. And he says, first go and be reconciled to them. And then, Jesus says, then come and offer your gift. I mean, that's a, that's a powerful discipleship lesson for really all of us. The fact that Jesus would say, like, like, you may come to church, you may be in worship and raise your hand, you may be in a Bible study, you may be doing good things, you may be out in the community serving, you're living a life, you're doing things for me, but, but then in that moment, if the Holy Spirit brings to mind that, that there's a broken relationship, that maybe there's somebody in your life that, that's, that's hurt by something you've done, whether you feel like it's justified or unjustified, Jesus is like, Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and go initiate restoration with that person. Now, what I find to be really interesting about these two verses in Jesus' statement is that I can't think of any other place in all of Scripture where Jesus places a higher priority of something above worshiping God. I mean, think of that in this moment that Jesus, he's got them all at his feet and, and he in this moment is placing a higher priority of going and making things right with people that we've hurt in our lives, even more so than worshiping him. You know, I think in our context, Jesus is saying, like you may be, you may be going and doing your church thing and doing your religious thing, but if you have broken relationships in your life, that he's challenging us to go and to do something about those. And he says to all of his followers on that hillside that there's something that takes priority even over worshiping God, and that is honoring God by doing your part to bring restoration in your relationships. Now Jesus makes 
this statement earlier in Matthew chapter 5 that I think gives us a little bit of a broader perspective of of this idea of of initiating restoration. He says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, who does he, who does he say is going to be the people that are blessed? They are the peacemakers. If you got your Bible, underline that word maker because, friend, there is a difference between being a peacemaker and being a peacekeeper. And if you're kind of daydreaming, if you're falling asleep, if you're snoring at this moment, like, 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 like lean into this for a second because this is, this is a big idea for you to recognize and to understand as it relates to your relationship, your marriage, leadership with business or whatever it is that you're doing that, that here Jesus, Jesus is drawing a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. It's not just a play on words that there is a difference between the two. You see, peacekeepers are people who tend to avoid confrontation with others in order to be able to keep the peace. Like they don't want to rock the boat, and because they don't want to rock the, vo- the, the boat, they avoid or they shy away from important conversations. Sometimes they even pretend that everything is okay and and. and And they take the blame upon themselves, even for things that they didn't do wrong, just to try to keep the peace. Now, peacekeepers, they're not they're not bad people. Like I I would rather be I'd rather be a peacekeeper than a troublemaker, right? But Jesus is pretty clear here that the blessing, the blessing isn't on the peacekeeper, the blessing is on the peacemaker. You see, peacemakers are ones that will lean into confrontation in their life. Now, some people love confrontation, but this is whether you like it or not, you lean into confrontation, that you lean into it in order to try to bring peace into the situation, that that peacemakers, they choose not to neglect or avoid difficult conversations because, listen, they value the relationship too much to let it stay the way that it is. And I think of the very nature of God as it, as it relates to relationships, that, that it, he is a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how much God cares about relationships, look at the very core of his nature and who he is. That he is a triune being. That it's three becoming one. That there is a interconnection. There is a relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a unified relationship. That the power that exudes from that relationship exudes because of the unity that is in it. Like I think of, of Jesus and I think, I think of him coming down to the cross. The reason why he came down and he died on the cross was to restore the broken relationships between us and him because of the sin that we had in our lives. Like God is all about restoring relationships. He's a redeeming God. We think about our own journey with the Lord and all that we've been through and all the mistakes and all the sins that we've committed. And God is all about redeeming those. And God wants to redeem even the broken relationships in our life. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is telling all of his, of his followers that when we remember that somebody has something against us, that we stop what we're doing, even if it's, even if it's worshiping God at church. Like, like if we're talking about this today and you're sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to you, like get up and leave. Like you ain't gonna offend me. Get up and leave and go make the phone call. Get up and leave and go drive across town or wherever you've got to go to, to begin to initiate the restoration that, that Jesus is like, drop what you're doing, even if it's for me. 
and go initiate restoration. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says this, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, what I love about this is that Paul is not putting the pressure on you and I to make sure that we make it right with somebody else. He's telling us to initiate it. He's telling us to, to, if it at all possible, as it relates and depends upon us to live at peace with everyone. This means that you and I, we're not, we're not responsible for what the other person does with our apology, but we are responsible of whether or not we give it. And we are responsible for the attitude that we give it in. Like how many, and I know I've done it, but how many of like, like you're saying you're sorry with your words, but your face ain't saying it, right? Like the responsibility for us as being followers that Jesus is trying to get across to these disciples is that even if you're doing great exploits for me, even if you're, you're, you're worshiping me, like even in that, and you recognize that there's a relationship that's off, to drop that, to lay it down, and to go initiate that restoration, to, to take that step of faith and to do it with, with the heart that the Bible says that we should do it in, with, with love, like that restoration, that apology isn't something that we come like with attitude and we kind of step up and you know we kind of do that. It's, it is with a soft, tender, repentive heart of love. In Romans 14, 19, Paul says, let us therefore make every effort like to go above and beyond to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, sometimes, sometimes our apology won't be good enough for somebody, but as long as we do it, and as long as we do it, we give it with the right heart and the right attitude that, that we have done our job. And so as followers of Christ, if Jesus is calling all of us to make every effort to bring peace into our relationships with the people that you and I have hurt through the years, then I think it's important that we understand how we do that. Because how many know there's a right way to apologize and there's a wrong way? And all the, all the married couples say, amen, amen. <laughs> so let me, give you five, let me give you five quick ways, kind of practical ways to apologize with humility in our lives. The first one is this, that we've got to admit the specifics. And here's what I mean by that. Whenever you recognize that you've hurt somebody or that somebody's upset with you from your actions or your attitude, name what you did in the apology. And if you don't know what you did with a genuine, sincere heart, ask them. Ask them how, I, I sense that there is, a, there is some tension in our relationship and have I hurt you? Have I done anything that has caused harm to you and, and do it in humility and love and give them an opportunity to, to share and then big part, don't get mad at them for sharing, <laughs> but receive it. And then apologize and state, listen, I am sorry that I yelled at you. Forgive me for lying Forgive me for allowing my eyes to, to kind of slip and to wander and the heartbreak that it's brought in your life. Like, get specific in your apology. And then the second thing, don't make excuses. Oh, man, I was good at this in the early years of marriage. I was good at making excuses why I did what I did. Right? And if we're going to give an apology and we're going to be humble in that apology and do what the Lord has called us to do, we can't make excuses when we mess up. We've got to own it. 
We got to own our mistakes. Like, don't be the person that, that says, I know I spent too much money and busted our budget for the month, but if you weren't so cheap, I would have never had the urge to spend it. Don't be that. Don't be that person. Don't make excuses. Own it. Third one, we got to accept the consequences. Like, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short. The Bible says we all do it. But we have to, in our apology, accept the consequences. You know, the truth is, is that even when we sin against God, and even when God forgives us, and even when God remembers it no more, remember we talked about that last week in, in forgiveness, that even in that, in our journey with God, we still have consequences for our sin. We still have to walk through some things and endure some things in our life because of the choices that we make. And the same is true in our relationships. And so if, if we were gossiping or lying about a friend and now they're slow to, to trust us, that's a consequence. And now what we've got to do in our lives is we've got to work harder to try to rebuild that trust in the relationship. Like maybe you're a teenager or a college student and, and your parents trusted you to go out and, and hang out with some friends and, and, and you ended up going and getting in trouble. You went to a party and, and, and uh, you did some things at the party that you know you shouldn't do and now your parents have grounded you for six months and you're upset and you're frustrated and you're like, I don't understand why I've got to be grounded for six months. Listen, you're lucky it's not six years. And you're lucky you didn't lose an, an arm or a leg over it. Like, like it's consequences that come with the decisions that we make. And I want to kind of step on my soapbox here for just a second and, and to speak to parents. And parents, listen, if your kids are making mistakes, if they're getting in trouble, like, please, whatever you do, like, don't, don't ground them from church. Don't ground them from youth on Wednesday night. Like if, if your kid is making some bad decisions, some poor choices, the last thing that you need to do is to take church away from them. And so I wanna encourage you, like even when our kids would get in trouble, there's a lot of things that we would ground them from. But we wouldn't ground them from being a part of their youth ministry and staying connected and being in an environment where God can speak to them. And so, so, We've got to be able to accept the consequences. And then number four, we've got to change our behavior. So it's one thing to apologize. It's one thing for us to go to that broken relationship and say, listen, I dropped it. I dropped the ball. I'm sorry, please forgive me for what I've done, but then go on doing the same things that we were doing before. Like if we're gonna truly apologize for the things that we've done in other people's lives where we've created harm, we've created hurt, then we've got to change our behavior. Maybe it's getting help, maybe it's getting counseling, maybe, maybe we've gotta quit the job that we're working because the decisions that we make and the temptations that are there are, are such that keep dragging us down and we keep repeating the same bad decisions. Or maybe it's our friends. Maybe we've got a, a group of friends, people that we hang around with, that we recognize that, that when we're around them, we're making decisions that are not the decisions that God would have us make in our lives. And so we have to begin to change our behavior. Friend, that was one of the biggest things for me in my own journey. You know, being a college student and, and being all involved in the party scene and all that stuff, when God, when God got a hold of my life, I had a choice to make. I could allow him to do what he wanted to do and then go back living my own life, being around all the same friends, or I could change my behavior. And I went, I went a month and I locked myself up in my apartment and I didn't call. That was back with, with answering machines. How many remember answering machines? That's how old we are. 
And people would call, they'd be asking, hey, when's the next party? And I wouldn't call them back. And, and I would just go to class and come back to my apartment. And I just isolated myself and got into church as much as I could get into church. I was there as often as I could be. And, and, and I changed my behavior in order to begin to move forward in the life that God has called me to move forward in. And some of you, some of you like me, have hurt some people in your past. You've said some things, you've done some things. And in order for you to, to, to be able to give an apology in a way that can restore relationships, there has to be a proactive decision to change your environment, to change some of your behavior so that you can be the person that God's called you to be. Listen, changing behavior always requires a change in actions. That you're not going to be able to change if everything you do in life remains the same. And then the fifth thing, the final thing, is we got to ask for forgiveness. We got to ask for forgiveness. And listen, this is my personal belief. I think there's a difference between being sorry and asking for forgiveness. You see, being sorry tends to imply that I'm sorry for whatever the result was that happened from the decision that I made. You see, I can be sorry for the result and not be sorry for the action. And when it comes to forgiveness, when we ask for forgiveness, that it takes humility because in forgiveness, you're admitting that you've done something wrong and you're asking for forgiveness. And in doing that, you're showing this kind of repentive heart for the action that you've done. And that's why I believe, hear me, that's why I believe that God uses forgiveness of sin to save us, not sorrow of sin. You see, we can be sorry for our sin to God, and that's not what saves us. It is a repentive part in this forgiveness that happens that saves us. And, and I think back like in my own life and a situation, um, I guess about seven years ago, we had, we had taken the family to the fair, you know, here in Tallahassee. And, and I like to, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's associated with just my upbringing and broken home and all that stuff, but, but there's something in me that there is a value to create memorable moments with my kids. And so I love to look for ways to do things that, that they don't expect. I listen in their dialogue and I listen for things that, that, that are clues of what they might enjoy to do. And, and, and then I kind of proactively try to create those moments. And, and so one of those moments for us was to take the, the whole family to the fair. Like we're not, I, I'm not huge on the fair, but, but the kids... They kept driving by and seeing the Ferris wheel and all this different stuff. And they're always like, we want to go to the fair. We want to go to the fair. And, and so one night we took them and had a great time. We're at the fair and rode tons of rides and ate a bunch of low calorie food like fried Oreos with powdered sugar and <laughs> And so we had kind of reached our limit as to how long we wanted to be there. And so I told the kids, one more ride. One more ride, and then we're going home. And, and so the girls, Jordan and Journey, our two youngest, the ride that they chose to go on had a long line. And Jeremiah, the ride that he chose to go on, had a short line. And so the girls waited in line. They rode their ride. Jeremiah got on the ride and then came back and rode it again by the time they were done. And so Jeremiah got the ride twice. The girls got the ride once. And our middle daughter, you know, if you've got, if you've got middle child, there is, there's this thing about middle kids that everything has to be fair, Right? And it's not, I mean, it don't matter like who the kid is. If they're a middle kid, everything has to be fair. And so Jordan, she starts to kind of 
kind of go at me a little bit of, well, it's not fair that Jeremiah got to ride two times and we only got to ride one time and tried to explain to her, well, his line was shorter and so it was the same amount of time and she's like, it's not fair. And I'm like, no, it's time to go. Like we told you one ride and that's it. Well, it's not fair. And, and so we start to, to, to walk to the car and I'm frustrated. She's frustrated. The rest of the family just feels so awkward in this moment because her and I are kind of going at it and I'm kind of walking about 10 feet in front of her and she's just back there just like murmuring, like, it's not fair, it's not fair, you know. And Andrea's back there, Jordan, chill out, chill out, you're gonna make dad mad. And, and she just kind of goes at it and we get almost to the car and I had had enough and I turn around and I'm like, Jordan, shut up. Now, in our house, like now as the kids get older, they'll like throw the shut up out just to be funny and, and kind of stir the pot. Um, but when they were kids, they, we were not allowed to say shut up in the house like that. Like for our kids, they're raised in church. And so like to them, that's the other S word, right? <laughs> and, and so when, and that's a whole nother funny story. Was it Journey? Oh, Jordan, she went to school and, and uh, somebody said the S word. She came back and, and her and, Ma, and Andrea had this conversation about what the S word was. And it wasn't the S word that we think it is. And she's like, no, it's the other. And jo Andrea's like, what's the other S word? Um, it was shut up. Um, <laughs> but we get into the car and the mo I mean, it was like the tension was as thick. You could cut it with a knife. Everybody's quiet, and I'm starting. We're starting to drive out, and we start to get out of the out of the fair and and to head home. And our oldest Jeremiah, who was probably like ten or so at the time, speaks up and says, "Daddy, you need to apologize to, to Jordan." And oh man. You talking about like it took it to a whole nother level in me and I I was like I will when I'm ready, you know, and <laughs> and I know it never happens to you guys, it's just me, but um and so so we're driving and it's probably fifteen, twenty minute drive back to the to the house and man, I'm just like I'm chewing on there's tension in the car. The Holy Spirit is starting to, to, to point out the way that I responded and just, you know, all of that stuff. And, I, and I'm kind of wrestling. Like, I, it's really that, that moment where I'm trying to decide, okay, am I going to be humble or prideful? Because the prideful part of me wants to be like, well, I'm the parent. And so you just deal with whatever my response is. But the humble side of me was like, but you did something wrong. And the Holy Spirit just began to kind of stir in my heart. And I had this big choice in that moment to make. Do I sweep my response under the rug because I'm a parent or do I do the right thing? And so as we got close to the house, I looked in the rearview mirror and I told Jordan, I said, Jordan, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And we had this like really cool moment where she says yes, and then she asks for me to forgive her. And, and then I look at Maya, and I'm like, Maya, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I said, thank you for sticking up for your sister and trying to protect her. And, and it was a moment for me in my own journey, in my own relationship with my kids that, that I, I had to choose in that moment that as humbling as it was to say I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness to my kids that were seven, eight, ten years old, that I wanted to value the relationship more than just being right. And friend, I think that is the biggest wrestle that we have in our lives as it relates to relationships. Will we put a higher value on those relationships than just being right? And I would assume 
that in this room today and watching online, that there's some of you that, that even now in this moment, you recognize that there's some tension in some relationships. That as much as people have hurt you, that you've done your share to say some things, to do some things that have cut deep. Maybe you're a parent in the room and maybe it's something that you've done with your kids or maybe kids, it's something that you've said to your parents and there's just this this kind of awkward, tense relationship or maybe it's a grandparent or maybe it's, it's business partners or whatever it is. And, and what I want you to see this morning is that Jesus, that Jesus has pulled himself up into this church. I'm so glad my back didn't go out right there. <laughs> and he's sitting down on the hillside and he's telling you in this moment that I love that you're here. I love that you've making time to come and to be a part and to worship me. But if you're here and you remember that there is a broken relationship, Jesus is saying to you and I today to leave your gift at the altar and to go and to be a peacemaker and to initiate that restoration. Not every initiation of a restoration will work, but it's not about whether it works. It's about whether you will surrender your heart and lay aside pride and pick up humility and do what your Father, your Holy Father is asking of you today you bow your head this morning close your eyes father lord relationships are tough they're tough and god so many of us through the years we've we've built walls up to try to protect ourselves from the hurt and the pain that god has been inflicted upon us but God, part of us moving past our past is recognizing that just as people have hurt us, Lord, we have hurt others. Lord, I pray that today, that God, as you bring to our memory those relationships, that God, we believe that this is a God-ordained moment. That, Father, the memory is there because you're wanting us to take a step, a courageous step, to do what you've called us to do. And as I've been praying all week, Lord, I pray that, God, this would be a day that, God, broken relationships would be restored. That this would be a day that relationships between parents and kids that don't even talk to each other anymore, that with humility, pride laid aside, that as we initiate restoration, God, that you would do what only you could do, that you would bring healing to those hearts. With every head bowed and eye closed, Friend, maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online. And maybe your broken relationship isn't with somebody else. Maybe your broken relationship is with God the Father. And friend, Jesus initiated that restoration when he left his place of comfort in heaven and came down to earth and laid his life on a cross so that you could have a choice of restoration between you and the Father. Friend, today, if that's you, I wanna lead you in a prayer, a prayer of acceptance of all that God has done for you so that you can walk out of this room today 
eternally restored. With every head bowed and eye closed, just in this moment, if this is you, just between you and God as a, as a faith step, I just want you to lift your hand up just for a second and then you can put it back down and you're saying, you're saying, I want my relationship with God to be restored today. And I feel like my sin, my decisions, that it's created a brokenness and today I want to surrender it all to the Lord. Friend, if you raised your hand today, repeat this prayer with me. Church, repeat it with me as well. Father, forgive me for my sins. I believe in you. Come live inside of me. Make me into the person you created me to be. With all that I am, I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you congratulate those that have restored that broken relationship with the Father? Friend, I want to just point out a couple things. First off, if you prayed that prayer today, that's not the finish line of your journey with God. It's the starting line. And at the end of the service today, our, our prayer team is going to be up here in the front. I want to encourage you, don't walk out these doors back into the same life, but change your behavior and take a step forward and come and, 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 and introduce yourself to one of our prayer team partners up here and let them pray for you today. Maybe you're here today and you just need somebody to agree with you in prayer. Maybe you're walking through some things. Maybe it's a relationship. This team will be up here looking forward to pray for you. If today is your first time, we're so honored. We love that you're here today. Stop by guest services on your way out. Get your free gift. Make a difference in the life of somebody else. We love you. We thank you. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.